Guten Tag, my beef burgers. Welcome to the Football Ramble. Everton won at Anfield and Moisey beat Jose. It's Monday 22nd of February. I'm Marcus Speller. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Venusian Hunteraja. Welcome, one and all. What a weekend's action! What a weekend's action, Jim Campbell. Stuffed full of footballing goodness. It really was. Because recently, some of them have been rubbish, Marcus, haven't they? <laughs> they've been really turgid, wet weekends. But this one was great. Yes. They, they've, they owed us this. This was a very, very dry weekend. The bloody money they earn. Uh-huh. The weather was nice. <laughs> in the, <laughs> the weather was, was nice in the southeast of England. Vish may well have been in other places. The football was good all across the country. You must be purring. I am purring a little bit. You know, I've been stuffed with football, but this felt like, you know, going to a Chinese buffet mm-hmm. and they've just, everything's a bit, that little bit fresher, you know. The sweet so, and sour chicken isn't sticking to the side. Uh-huh. I mean, some of it is. <laughs> You're not going to the to the Chinese it. buffets that Pete Donaldson used to frequent in central London. I, re- I reckon me and Pete could do a number on a Chinese buffet, <laughs> honestly. Just... Doesn't everyone think that about a Chinese buffet, though? Isn't that how it gets you? Yes. Yeah, but I yeah. think the darkness that resides within me and Pete mm-hmm. will be more than enough to to just, just demolish a couple of places. What? There used to be a place next to Waverley Station in Edinburgh that oh, yeah. we'd frequent, and it would um, it would send a lot of people the wrong way, but never me. <laughs> did never, you say never me? Vish, did you say you, you think the darkness inside you refuse you to demolish a couple of places? Are you sort of floating cool. some sort of like Chinese buffet crawl with Pete? That is exactly what I'm floating. Yeah. Also, why are you aligning aligning yourself with Pete? That's like that's like being a new nation walking into the UN and going, "Hi, everybody." Um, no, no, no. We're, we're with the we're with Iran. We're with those guys. You know? <laughs> yeah. That way, madness lies. Yeah. <laughs> well, whenever you whenever you used to read out Pete's um, Pete's Chinese order on a Sunday, that would be very reminiscent of what I do. I would I would order for not just the meal in front of me, but for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Not uh-huh. even for the very next day. You know. Uh huh. Well, there we are. I once had McDonald's for uh, lunch and dinner for three days on the trot. But we don't have time to talk about that now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Let's go straight I to think, Anfield. I think that's worse. Straight to Anfield. <laughs> there was a good reason for it. Straight to Anfield, though. Uh, Everton, their first win at Anfield this century. Um, since 1999, of course. Uh, their first win at all against Liverpool since uh, the 2-0 win in October 2010, which was, of course, at Goodison Park. What a bloody win, Jim. Yeah. It's astonishing, isn't it, really, that it's that it's that long, and that there are various like caveats that that mean it's it still ages if you if you take mm-hmm. certain things into account since they've beaten them. Um, but I think you know it, it's really perfect timing for this game, isn't it, from an Everton point of view? Because obviously they're in really good form. Carlo Ancelotti does not care for reputations, and Liverpool just look absolutely knackered, like emotionally. You well say they're in good form, though. They did get beaten by Fulham not that long true, ago. True, true. That's very true. But I mean, you know. Fulham are, Fulham are showing what they're made of now, aren't they, mate? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. They were also beaten by Newcastle as well. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Fair <laughs> this enough. is quite a damning loss they're for in, Liverpool, really, yeah, if you think about in, it. <laughs> they're in really shit form. <laughs> really. If anything, that'll make it better for Everton, won't it? That'll I make think it so. better. That actually, we're not doing that well, and still it was enough for us to rock up for, to Anfield and, and, and like leave with a win. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Liverpool just look exhausted, um, both physically and mentally, from from all of the, the, the chopping and changing, and from everything that's being written about it all. And do you think is there a fear with Liverpool 
perhaps just under the surface that now this title has slipped away, which it mm-hmm. clearly has. Mm-hmm. They might not win another one for, for 30 years. <laughs> oh, Jim Cowell. You'd hate to see it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. Well, didn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer say uh, this season that he wants to knock Liverpool off their effing perch? <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely the sort of thing he would say. Um, Although something that uh, I did think on the weekend was um, that with all the Liverpool players, you're right, absolutely exhausted and and looking quite knackered and and whatnot. The only current Liverpool player who showed uh, a touch of class and and composure of the weekend was Minamino with that goal against Chelsea. I thought to myself, what what, what a time to kind of uh, be away from it, I suppose. Um, But back at the the, uh, Anfield in the Liverpool derby fish, I think we're enjoying the yin and yang of Big Dunk and Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, that scene at the end where Ferguson was sh- where Duncan Ferguson was shouting into Ancelotti's face and Ancelotti <laughs> was so unmoved. That is that is someone on certain substances when his favourite song comes on, shouting at someone who's just turned up. Yeah. <laughs> do you not do you not think it's henchmen and 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 overlord? You know, the, the, the Overlord what? knows that the henchman will never turn on him. Well, the, a henchman would, ne- would never do that to an Overlord, would they? It's probably uh, why Duncan Ferguson hasn't ha- been able to find work on the, you know, on the, on the racketeering circuit. Because <laughs> he's, just, he's just too emotional. But no, it, it was lovely, actually. And like, and he's a law-abiding citizen, we No, no, think. definitely, yeah. Yeah, we sometimes put, takes the law into his own hands. But the, or head. You know, <laughs> But when you were reading out, like, you know, how long it's been since Everton won, even the fact that Gilvie Sigurdsson's penalty was the third penalty Everton have ever had at Anfield since the Second World War. <laughs> you know, this wow. is... And it was a controversial the... one. <laughs> yeah, we can probably talk about that a bit later. But uh-huh. even the, um, you know, even the even the mitigation of Liverpool being in, uh, in such disarray mm. won't matter to any of those players or fans who have sat through so many beatings and Duncan Ferguson his reaction spoke of someone who probably couldn't believe that this time would ever come and certainly had reason to believe that it wouldn't be the case um I did think when when Henderson got injured which was absolutely mm. the injury of someone who had been asked to do so much already because mm, the squad yeah. depth has basically been eaten into when the physio went over to him I kind of got the impression that the physio was like, right, what's the problem? And Henderson just looks up at him and goes, fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Everything hurts right now. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean... I've it, discovered muscles I didn't even know I have and they've, yeah. rushed, they've ruptured. They're def- <laughs> there's definitely something wrong. Yeah, I mean, in, in the game, Davis and Kabak became Liverpool's 18th different defensive pairing at centre-half this season, which just shows you um, how difficult it's been. Uh, but take nothing away from Everton because... That Richarlison goal in what the third minute was mm. absolutely fantastic foreplay. Lovely slip pass from James Rodriguez, and the way Richarlison he was just onto that bang in the corner, Jim. Beautiful, bloody beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was really clinical, wasn't it? It mm. really sort of set their stall out. And I think actually that was what was impressive about Everton throughout the game. They never really looked like losing, did they? Um, or even sort of getting pegged back. They were. It was a very, very sort of controlled, mature performance from them. Even from Jordan Pickford. Yeah. That not was had, quite nice, wasn't it? It was. He not, not had the best of times uh, recently. Not, not against Liverpool either. And specifically in this fixture. At, yeah. at Anfield, of course, you know, making that error. But uh, Ancelotti said that this is the Pickford everyone knows. Um, it's the Pickford we want to know, I think. Yeah. There's another Pickford that Ancelotti <laughs> will probably get to know at some point. But it was a great performance, though, because he's been under a lot of pressure. Olsen's been in uh, the side a little bit as well. So uh, especially in that position as goalkeeper, 
I think the goalkeeper can lose confidence quite quickly and if you're taken out the side you know it can it's obvious when you are you know you can't be brought on for the last 20 or something like that um, so to come in for that fixture and produce that performance is very encouraging for him yeah, especially off the back of what happened at Goodison Park and the conversations around him. I do wonder, actually, this is, you know, with fans in, this is absolutely the kind of game where he is, you know, targeted to no end by, you know, just, you know, do you remember the discussions after, you know, that injury to yeah. um, Virgil van Dijk? I reckon they would have been, you know, he would have had a seriously rough time. And obviously with no fans, it made it a little bit easier. But, yeah, I was I was really impressed in by how clear-minded he seemed to be which is not something you say very often about mm-hmm. Jordan Pickford and you know excuse me he made some you know very good saves I think moreover as you say this is kind of Jordan Pickford that we want to know because I think coming into the Euros there was that sense of jeez mm-hmm. is he still is he still number one um, and I, I think it'll take more than more than that performance to remind people of why Southgate has such faith in him but yeah, I, I was I was I was pretty happy for him in isolation of it all because I thought it was a very mature performance. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the penalty then, Jim? Klopp said about the penalty. I wanted to talk to the referee after the game, but he left already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Don't blame him. Surprised. Yeah. I'm. Um, I, I, well, it's basically the reason it's it's happened is because the intention has come out of the the, the laws, hasn't it? So I think with that in mind, you know, he has denied an opportunity. Um, it looked very harsh. Not intentionally. It, I mean, yeah, I mean... Look, if Trent I, Alexander is going to put his skull there, mm. then someone <laughs> someone is going to knee it in the back of the head. Would you say yeah. it was a bit of skulldiggery, Fish? <laughs> skullduggery, surely. Yeah, that's right. Um, there was a computer game called Skullduggery. I you said, that, you said that with a lot of skull smuggery, I thought. Oh, very good. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, you're a skull sluggery. But um, uh, the if that works. Let me have it. It's only a Monday. I haven't got going yet. The, the penalty was given, though, because... Of that sort of flick of the right boot, wasn't it? That's what mm. they when when it was really heavily analysed on television afterwards, and you saw all the replays. That to to me seemed the only way because if he's just hit his knee off the back of his head, it is incredibly harsh. I think. Yeah, but they it's, said it's... that little flick of the right foot. I mean, again, you could then argue: well, was that intentional? Was it? Did he sort of know what he was doing? He seemed in a bit of a heap, and he just taken a blow on the back of the head. Yeah, it's all it's all a it's all a mess. This seems to, since they changed the penalty laws, it seems to be like every week there's some new confusing thing where it's like, oh, is, does this apply? Does that apply? And this was certainly certainly one of those. But I think overall, I mean, Calvert Lewin has been has been denied a goal scoring opportunity because of an opponent there, mm-hmm. uh, be that by you know accident or design. And if that is that is what the rule says, that's what the rule says. And you know, I think they probably need looking at again at the end of the season. But there we are. Yeah, Marcus, you said it was analysed to death on, um, you know, on, on TV afterwards. It wasn't analysed particularly, you know, stringently by the referee when he went over to the VAR. Screen, <laughs> did yeah, that well, was, that, that yeah. was incredible. I mm. mean, like, obviously, if he's if he's absolutely if he if he's sure that he's made the right decision, then he doesn't need to check it for very long. And I, I think it was quite refreshing. But it was the way that. He just he ran over, lent in, had a look, and then well, as if he was checking himself out in the mirror, I was like, "Yeah, all good, brilliant," and then went back. Well, perhaps perhaps he was convinced, and yeah. whoever was doing the VAR and just thought, "Okay, it's a big game. Let's just I'll go over there and, and sort of make sure." You you couldn't blame a referee for thinking that in this day and age, of course, because referees have been criticised heavily for not going over, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a look at the monitor. So maybe he was he was that sure, but I. To me, I know what you're saying, Jimmy impeded him. It, to me, it's all 
all about that that right leg if he if he meant to kind of have a little flick at him and get a little nibble because if he's just ran into the back of his head I, I, I think it's incredibly harsh yeah I did see some Liverpool fans on Twitter claiming that Calvert-Lewin had deliberately run into Trent Alexander-Arnold's head just because he saw it was there he thought oh there's a head of Liverpool I might as well knee that <laughs> yeah. seems a little extreme uh-huh. I, about Twitter. I was about to say, I think you've answered your own question there. Yeah. Uh, but a great win for Everton nonetheless. Um, a great win for West Ham as well against uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Jim, David Moyes, a.k.a. the ferryman's hovercraft, ascends to fourth and nine points above Spurs. But Moyes himself says they still haven't hit top gear. Come on! Ooh. It's big talk! From the it big is, man. Because especially as he's been trying to sort of play down the idea of, you know, looking up the table and thinking about where they could finish. And he's mm-hmm. still saying they've not even hit top gear. That's uh, that's, that's surprisingly uh, punchy from, from Moyes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a great performance. Again, like, you you know, a lot of teams kind of, they go through these little periods. We've, we've seen, you know, Southampton do it earlier in the season before they fell away. You could even argue Spurs themselves did it because there was a point we were talking about them as genuine title contenders. Well, when uh, they played Liverpool, what... we were saying, you know, Anfield, it was like, oh, are, they, are these the two going for the title? It seems a long time ago now. It absolutely does. But it, I mean, West Ham, they keep going, don't they? They keep showing that, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they've got a lot to their game and there's some, some real resolute kind of dogged determination in there. And they, they, were, they were fantastic again. And, you yeah. know, they, it's not like. It's not like Spurs didn't come at them as well at periods in the game. They stood up to that well. Bale, Bale actually played pretty well, I thought as well, mm-hmm. which would be encouraging for Spurs, like picking through the wreckage of it. So there, there are some sort of you know potentially some green shoots in there. But I think Kane looks knackered, uh, and obviously he's perhaps come back from injury early. I mm-hmm. don't know if he has or not, but like people are certainly uh, suggesting that that could be the case. Um, and it, it's just unusual what's happening at Spurs, isn't it? Because they do look fragile with their defence. Um, and that isn't something you associate with the Jose Mourinho team. So, uh, you know, he defended mm. his methods after the game, didn't he, saying that him and his, his staff are like the best in the world uh, and, he, and he wouldn't change anything about it. But this is his lowest points tally after 50 games. So either his methods are waning mm-hmm. or perhaps there's something about Spurs having been set up as they were under Pochettino for such a long time that means kind of recalibrating them to change gear and make them a bit more of a defensive team um, in the Mourinho mould just isn't clicking. Well, it's interesting, these quotes that, as you say, said, you know, we're methods are second to nobody in the world. Then he says, we have problems in the team that I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. And then, Vish, he says, uh, but, you know, the players tried really hard. To me, this smacks of Mourinho thinking, mm, if you turn on the players and you criticise the players in this day and age you find yourself out of a job pretty quickly and they down tools. We've talked about that with Lampard at Chelsea. We've talked about that with Mourinho before, whether it be Manchester United or Chelsea themselves. So he thinks, right, I can't publicly hang them out to dry, but this is definitely their fault and not mine. Um, So if you sort of start to pick apart some of his words, it does allude to the fact that he's quite angry with or or, or frustrated with the players when he says things I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. And then sort of says, but you know, the players tried really hard and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, he started that in midweek. He In midweek, he said that it doesn't matter how good or bad a coach is, you're beholden to how good or bad the players are. Mm. When he was discussing the form they're on, which at the time was only four losses in five instead of five and six. Um, he then said what he said on the weekend. And, you know, I, I wrote about this um, last night. And 
I think sometimes because we've seen this so often from Mourinho, we can be a bit flippant about it. We can poke fun at it and and so uh-huh. we can say, "Oh, we saw this coming." You know, it's what he did at Chelsea, it's what he did at United, it's what he did at Real Madrid. But the very real issue here for Spurs, in my opinion, is the fact that when he acted out of Real Madrid, it didn't really have any consequences to the playing staff because sure. you know beyond sowing the seeds for Casillas' departure, that only happened a few years later. Mm-hmm. If you look at what happened at Chelsea, he acted out and the only real casualty from that was Eva Carnero because even Hazard stayed on and won the league with mm-hmm. Antonio Conte in the next season well Hazard was reported apparently Hazard was apologising to Mourinho when he left he said oh, I'm really sorry I didn't try hard. I didn't do it for you and all this kind of stuff so he still yeah. had that effect on the players mm. sure sure and then when he was at Manchester United the two players he well the three players he really came up against are now quite prominent parts of this Ole Gunnar Solskjaer team Luke Shaw Anthony Martial and at the end of his tenure was Paul Pogba now, the issue with Spurs, I think, is the fact that at all those clubs, all those players were pretty happy with where they were and mm-hmm. got a sense that they could outlast Mourinho anyway. Yeah. At Spurs, though, you know, you've got Alderweireld, who is now just on the bench. You've got um, Deli Ali, who he's trying to force out the door. There was some whiff of a whiff of a whiff of a rumour that Song Hyun Min was, you know, looking around and naturally he's going to have any suitors. Harry Kane seems to be, you know, well in on Mourinho as as one of his allies, but 28 this year, yep. if if he thinks this is going to continue, he's probably going to have eyes for elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And Spurs are just in a position now and are a club of that ilk where players do tend to look elsewhere. There are mm-hmm. greener pastures around you and not just because you're, you're sat ninth, but because you've got a guy there, Mourinho, who's just, you know, he's swinging punches as he, as he usually does at this phase. And Spurs fans might end up be the one losing because everyone's talking about whether Levy's going to pay this astronomical compensation fee. But it probably that's probably worth paying considering you're gonna you could potentially lose a lot of your prime assets that are, you know, let's face it, pretty irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and, and you compare this fish to the, the the feeling of that club and, and the way the players are, you know, the the, the body language and whatnot. You compare that to West Ham. Jay Ling's is starting up the band. For crying oh, out loud. It's brilliant. I, mean, I it's love all... it when he... Oh, he... <laughs> he just... <laughs> I'm loving this. We thought that perhaps that he was just one of those players that was maybe just content to sit on the bench and or, or not even on the bench sometimes and pick up his wages. Perhaps he was for a bit. I don't know. He needed a move and whatnot. But Jim, this is just... This is glorious stuff from the big it's, man. It's great, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know if he ever seemed like a player that was content to sit on the bench because as we know about... Jesse Lingard, he's full of energy, isn't he? And that translate, you know, that translates to how he plays on the pitch when he does play. So it's, 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 I'm delighted for him. I, I also, you know, we touched on it before, but he's got this reputation as being a little bit annoying, a little bit, you know, like silly in the, with the dancing and like, you know, the Jaylings mm-hmm. hand sign and stuff. But actually, <laughs> just to see him reveling in it and see him enjoying it, it's just really, it's just straight up nice. But he can't be it's that annoying. Good. Look at the way he's kind of got them all going. I mean, exactly. Fish, Fish, have you ever seen a guy, a lonely, move to a club, have such an impact straight away and, and literally he's getting everyone involved in his celebrations? He's yeah. like a bloody Pied Piper. Has Declan Rice ever seen a set of drums before? That's I don't I think so. <laughs> what the hell? hell was that? Yeah. What I love is the fact that Lingard got to celebrate twice as well. I know, that was was incredible. (laughs) He's like, I love VAR. It's absolutely brilliant. What, two sets? Amazing. That's what he wants. I love seeing him set off on that banter canter. You know, it's going to just scare defences. Yeah. 
He's going to start you, for England. Kind of Lingard... He started for England in the Euros. Let's be honest. This is what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jim, are you Lingard neutral now after what he did at the Emirates to now see him do that in front of, <laughs> in front of Mourinho against Spurs? Um, I hmm, that's a good point. I th- I think yeah. You know what? I think he's he's been in purgatory for long enough for me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am now. I'm back to Lingard neutral. You know what? I'm I'm pro Lingard. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you have to be full circle. I think you have to be. While we're, while we're suddenly grilling you, Jim, what did you think of your mate Jamie Redknapp saying West Ham are benefiting from not having their fans around? <laughs> I, mean, you I see completely what? agree. Uh, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, and I think a lot of West Ham fans would as well. Uh-huh. Um, those that have been in the stadium and, and get frustrated by how quickly the fans can can um, get restless. And I speak as a fan of a club where that's the same as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sometimes can affect. Clearly, it affects the players on the pitch. They're only they're only human beings, and we've seen that playing without fans has had has had various effects on 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 teams throughout the season. And yeah, I think it's it's the case. And also, I think part of it is because of the stadium as well, mm-hmm. uh, because the stadium is a weird setup for fans to watch football. And I don't think I think any club would would have a disconnect between their fans and their and the team if they were in that club. It's not just West Ham, but I think they are certainly benefiting from it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, you only need to see the. Um... The United game, Manchester United game that they hosted at London Stadium when we had that window where fans were back when COVID went on holiday. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> the at the end of that game, um, you know, bear in mind that you'd have to be one of the lucky few to get a ticket there. The anger at the end of that, um, specifically towards Sebastian Haller as well, there were two blokes who got within, it was only about, you know, 60 yards of of Haller when he was coming out to be substitute and they ran ran across and they were giving him absolute pelters mm. and obviously in a stadium in a you know near empty stadium not only could you hear it but Haller could hear it so clearly yeah, as well yeah. and that was in a game where they dominated for the first start and then you know spurned a, a 2-0 lead so um, I, 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 I totally agree with the Redknapp and, and as Jim said I think a lot of West Ham fans would agree as well Do you agree Why with Why are people like that? Oh well, do you agree with Harry Redknapp though, um, Vish, who claimed that Craig Dawson is the signing of the season? I mean, since his debut eleven games ago, West Ham—they've only conceded eight goals. Um, could barely get a game for Watford in the Championship, but he's come in. He was great against Spurs. I mean, yeah, he he he, he could be, um, but I mean, I mean, he's, <laughs> you don't he, sound he's convinced. Not. If no, I'm honest, I mean, he, I mean, he's not. It's just some, something interesting to say, but. Um, <laughs> No, he's been good. He, he nearly scored yesterday as well. Got on the end of a, a header that um, was straight at Lloris. But I mean, that with all due respect to Craig Dawson, um, that speaks of how well organised West Ham are because they've had you know the issues. Og Bonner was a was a big loss to them, and mm-hmm. yeah, he slotted in Masuaku on the way they played with that three, and then uh, Masuaku on right where Cresswell was acting as um, you know the left sided centre back. He was a big loss. So they've you know we, we can talk about how they've been relatively lucky with injuries to uh, you know to their senior players but you know it's credit to Moyes and um, the system he's cultivated there where people can come in and you know the different systems that he's been able to work with so you know Dawson I mean he's, he's not better signing than Kufal or Suchek at all mm-hmm. or, um, but um, mm. yeah he's been all right yeah. But it is nice though to have an Olympian playing at uh, what was the Olympic Stadium. It Craig is, Dawson yes. of course played yeah. for uh, you know Great Britain at the Olympics uh, which is uh, which is just delightful. Of course. Uh, right, ladies and gentlemen, let's have a quick break. Hi, 
go around the Premier League and ask all of the Premier League managers, do you play the looky-likey game? And if they give you a boring answer, we'll drive down and we'll slap them with a wet fish. Welcome back to the Football Ramble, everybody. Now, let's see how we got on in Betway's 4 to score this weekend. Entry to Betway's 4 to score is free, of course, each week. Pick the first goal scorer in Betway's four selected matches for your chance to win the weekly £50,000 jackpot. Make sure your selections are submitted before the first game. Further T's and C's apply. In Game 1, West Ham versus Spurs, I picked Song Hyun Min, and of course it was Mikhail Antonio. That wiped us out straight away, sadly. Oh dear, I did try. Uh, game two, Aston Villa against Leicester. Vish picked Harvey Barnes. It was, of course, James Madison. Barnes did score, but not the first goal. It's the first goal scorer that we're interested in. In game three, Arsenal versus Manchester City. Jim quite rightly picked Raheem Sterling. Uh, Jim knows his onions as he's an Arsenal fan and knows what to expect. Uh, and in game four, Manchester United versus Newcastle. Luke picked Marcus Rashford. It was indeed Marcus Rashford. So we equaled our best tally of two out of four. I'm pretty sure that was our best tally. Two out of four. I don't think we've ever yeah. got three. Um, so we'll be back with another round of Betway's four to score on the preview show this Friday. But Jim, it's better showing, but still I we've mean, come up short. I, I, would, I would argue, Marcus, that's the closest we've ever come because you mentioned that you would have gone for Mikel Antonio mm-hmm. had you known he would be fit and you, you played it safe and he ended up being fit. Mm-hmm. Vish, you, you mentioned James Madison and said it was a toss-up between the two. I even predicted on the um, the Patreon live uh, stream that we did recently that Raheem Sterling would score within the first couple of minutes. So that counts for <laughs> something, doesn't it? But I think, you know, that we, we that's that's the best we've done. Yeah. So, yeah. Give us 25 you know, grand. Signs of improvement. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all or nothing. Give charity 25 grand. It, yeah, it, it, let's be clear. Um, it's all or nothing, I'm afraid, gentlemen. And once again, we got nothing. All right. Let's have some emails. We have an email from Brett. No surname. Something a little bit suspicious here, but I will read it. With Michael Richards trying to get a road trip series going with Kino, Roy Keane, that is, who else would you like to see paired up and road tripping? Ooh. I'd like to see Fergie and Wenger in the south of France on a wine tour or Kate and Luke touring high society events. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do like the idea of, of Fergie and Wenger. I think that would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I've, I've kind of... I've had a little think of this, and I mm-hmm. would like to see Lee Boyer and Kieran Dyer doing anything, <laughs> really. Because I, I can't imagine they've spoken for a while. They probably have a lot of catching up to do. But would they do a little trip around, I don't know, like um, various fight events or something like that? Mm. I don't know. I, I think they'll go to picturesque settings, but at the end of it, they're always picked up by Graham Souness. <laughs> yeah, and so okay. whatever happens, they have to apologise in front of him, and then they get in the car and they go to their next destination. Yeah. Surely okay. you put them in high-pressure situations. You know where it is really, really stressful. Mm-hmm. Like the Krypton you see factor. How the, who like sort of snaps first? Yeah, that'd be quite good. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't know if I want to encourage this because we've got enough travelogues with comedians and their mums or dads, but um, <laughs> I do quite like the idea of John Champion and Ali McCoyst. Oh, sort of, yes. you know, yes. yes. No, that's like, it. The, the trip style series. I think that's the win. I think that's the win, Jim. Um, yeah, we don't enjoy that. Yeah, no, very, very good. A hodler model just singing diamond lights as wherever they drive, <laughs> which would be quite nice. One for the older listeners there. Ben James has been in touch with the subject, a football manager is an oiled up loose boy. <laughs> right. Again. 
A football manager is an oiled up loose boy. Here we go. I come to you with a story about a high profile manager. I studied physio at university and one of my friends did a placement at a club where he was managing in the area. Once a week when all the other players and staff had left, he would come into the treatment room for a two hour long massage. Here we go. <laughs> wait, till, wait till everyone leaves. Yes, the youngest that, one stays. Oh dear. This, this massage was carried out by five physios trained to work on the physiques of finely tuned athletes. Five working of them. Working all at the same time to take him straight to Nirvana. One on each arm, one on each leg, and one for his neck and back. I'm oh. glad it clarified neck and back. Yeah. The perks of being the boss, maybe. Oh, blimey. Mm. Do you reckon you had to draw lots to see which body part you'd get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, presumably after a while he'd figure out who was who was right for what limb. I tell you something. Is, yeah. Like five physios will go into town on you for two I hours. <laughs> I feel very uncomfortable about that. It's such a power move, isn't it? You work for me. You do what I tell you. You would You would be a very oiled up loose boy, though, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. Uh, quite the would measure be, of the man. Would it be relaxing to have that many people working on you like that? I don't know. If you, if you get off on power tripping, I think it would. Mm, uh, yeah. Good point. I don't think it's the relaxation, is it? It's, the, it's, the, it's making five people do that. It's having the power and holding it over them. Right, gentlemen, uh, Manchester City, they won again. 18, 18 winning game winning streak. I'll be honest with you, Jim. I think I think a 1-0 loss to Man City is not a bad result these days. No, it's it's all right in the circumstances, isn't it? Arsenal sort of, you know, found some foothold to get back into the game and it wasn't exactly a terrible performance from them. But someone needs to beat City team, don't they? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. I mean, this is... I suggested bringing in the government and Marcus laughed at me, but I think it's getting <laughs> to the stage now. Well, we I'm just concerned. It. You know what FIFA are like when, when the government get involved? And if you wait for the it's same, true. I don't want us to jeopardise our position at the Euros, quite frankly. You've got to think of the bigger picture sometimes, not just mm. your petty little Mancunian rivalries. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, an 18 game winning streak. I mean, it, what can be said? You know, they're they're absolutely magnificent. And even in this game, it was I say only one nil. You know, the goal came obviously quite early on. But just the way they played, Vish, they're just they are back. Really, you could argue to their peak best under Pep at uh, Manchester City. Yeah, and I think you know that they're they're at their peak best when they. This was like you know, rocking up to a race in their slippers. They're like, we don't need to go that fast here. <laughs> you know, they scored early and they're pretty comfortable with that. And it led to some quite interesting um, post-match interviews because to use the post-match interviews in isolation, you wouldn't have guessed that either team lost because mm. Guardiola and Sterling were talking about how good they were and yep. Arteta and Tierney were talking about how good Man City were. And, you know, a 1-0 win where everyone's satisfied, everyone's kind of, you know, filleting each other and there's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> like it's... It was, you know, it was exactly the kind of result that didn't necessarily state how good Man City could be and wasn't really a reflection of, of where Arsenal were because Man City are as good as they are. So, yeah, it was a, it felt like a relatively tame Sunday evening, you know, jaunt, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is that how you felt, Jim? Yeah, to be honest, they did. I mean, it like because, it, you know, City didn't really, you know, go through the gears because they didn't need to. It was almost like, I think... The, I really got the impression that the the biggest threat to their kind of winning streak will be them forgetting to win. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It almost looked yeah. like it almost looked like they they forgot that they could need a second goal. Obviously, ultimately they didn't. But if they needed one, they could have gone out and got it. I'm sure. But well, they, so the, they just didn't really go through those gears. So the tactic to beat them is is to take away the scoreboard. 
Yes. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I've, got to, I've got to think outside the box here. I mean, it's a bit depressing, really, isn't it? That when when the Premier League is in a situation where everyone's under a, a, an unusual amount of pressure and an, in an unusual situation, that City are so well equipped that they can just brush everyone aside like this. It's it's just it's a bit tedious. It is. Well, Manchester United are doing their best, Vish, to keep up with them, aren't they? Beating Newcastle three-one. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it's weird. I, when you watch that game, you realise that you know you'd often when you when you'd have two teams facing off in those two positions, um, you'd think the more disjointed the game, the more it would favour the weaker team. Mm-hmm. Manchester United don't work like that. The more disjointed no. the game, the better it is for Manchester United because <laughs> they were so weird during that first half, and then in the second they were like, right, we'll probably get a penalty. We'll you know we'll put a hopeful ball across that Fernandes will get a toe to, and Dan James will you know swerve into the near post and yeah just like that it was it was a 3-1 win and it was I suppose we could, I could say the same thing about this game that I said about the the Man City Arsenal game in that I don't know if it was if there were too many takeaways from it you know Newcastle aren't particularly good and Manchester United are, are able to take hold of flashy moments and well one of yeah. the moments was perhaps the young Geordie lad Shola Shortira is that how it's pronounced sorry forgive me there um, he got a run out against uh, his well, he is a Geordie, I believe, so against uh, his hometown club, but for Manchester United, of course. Um, I'm hoping he's named after Shola Amiobi. It must be. Surely. Surely. Must be. It's I hope be. it is. Even if it's not, it is. Let's yeah, say yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. We have that power. It's nice to see Dan James back, though, Vish. Uh, he's been in and out the side uh, kind of thing, but he's uh, he was among the goals again. Yeah, I think I said this last week, but... <laughs> I feel like when he arrived at the club, there was quite a lot heaped on him and he, you know, scored some goals and there was a lot of talk about him, you know, using that as a platform to go on and it just hasn't really worked out. And mm-hmm. I think it's weird because you want it's youngsters... a huge step up though for him. Yeah, no, massively so. And it's it's weird because you want youngsters to play games so they can develop. Mm-hmm. But he was almost an argument that you can play too many games as a youngster because sometimes mm-hmm. you do need to go away and rediscover... Yeah, or just, sorry, discover for the first time little tricks of the trade, for example, if it's going on your left foot early so that you give people two different angles to worry about, or it's just, you know, just developing your your general style of play because it's quite hard to do that under the glare of the spotlight. And I think that's why he struggled and been, you know, he's kind of played within himself a few times. And it's nice to see him not just score goals, but also he's probably the most diligent player United have on that side because Aaron Wan-Bissaka's form you know, had been a bit patchy because he's, he just has to do all the defending. Whereas with Dan, with Dan James, he's got a bit more support in that regard. And and just his legs as well. He's so quick that yeah. he just stretches play at will. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I st- I'm still not entirely sure if he's going to emerge outright as a starter for Manchester United, but mm-hmm. I'm at least happy that he's, um, he's getting some of his right now, yeah. Will he get uh, more or less minutes when the club inevitably signed Jadon Sancho, though? <laughs> well, um, he could be, you know, he could be one of the five masseuses for Jaden Sancho. You know, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> it's like Unai Emery and his five captains. Yeah, yeah maybe that's yeah. it. I mean, I tell you what, though, is Jaden Sancho? Is he sort of subtly touting himself for a move to Chelsea? Because there was a lot of chat, wasn't there, when Thomas Tuchel took over, that Tuchel being a German speaker for some reason, you know, that would be that would be a good thing because you know Werner. Um, 
and uh, we obviously Rudiger's there and uh, Kai Havertz, who I think all three of them have a good, well, certainly Rudiger, but the other two have a good grasp of English. But there was talk about the German language being important, whereas Jane Sancho did a weird interview recently where he seemed to put a German accent on but speak English, sort of Steve McLaren style. Um, yes. So is he sort of making a very slow transition from English to German? Is that is, is that what's happening there, Jim? I really don't know because I don't understand because Joey Barton did this as well, didn't he? In that interview, in French, where he, yeah. you know, he put on a French accent. And yeah. don't these players know that you know if say, for example, you're on holiday in Spain, mm-hmm. that loud English becomes <laughs> Spanish? Like why aren't, true, they, why aren't yeah. they just speaking loudly in English? That makes foreigners understand English, doesn't it? <laughs> so if that's the problem. It's, it's very, very strange. I mean, it could be that um, Sancho has a bad case of Roman accent syndrome, which is a thing. You know, mm-hmm. people often pick up the accent of where they are, but it I does seem that, quite extreme. Yeah, I think that's it. I think, to, to be fair, like, if you're... if you, I don't know what his German's like, but if you're speaking English in a country who perhaps when they hear English, it's, it's through their own... Um, Learnings or their own accent or other people, blah blah blah. Then he's just he's just trying to assimilate, isn't he? Vish, that's all he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I actually do something similar with um, members of my family who can't really speak English. Like, I'll, I'll affect uh, the Sri Lankan accent when I speak English. Right. Um, I like to say it helps, but maybe I'm, I'm just maybe that's just the little Ingler in England yeah. in me. Because just... whatever whatever they can't understand me, I just trash the place. <laughs> <laughs> and, they yeah, they... The mes- and they get the fucking message then. So. <laughs> Mm. So you know, but... Vish is coming. Or put the garden furniture away for crying out loud. Um... We have, where's the tea gas? We ran out of tea gas last time, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gentlemen. Uh, yes, back to where we were talking about. So, yes, New, uh, Newcastle lost, um, and they're now looking over their shoulder because Fulham yeah. are coming, Jim. Fulham are on the march. Seven points from their last nine potential points. I'll tell you what, Scott Parker's got them on the march. He does. Yeah, I mean, it was happy. I mean, it's a good time to play Sheffield United because... Because um, it's this season. Because it's this season. <laughs> and Chris Wilder keeps saying things like, well, they're not going to have to be... Not going to have to worry about us for much longer. He's basically become a moody teenager, isn't he? They've yes. given up. It That's seems right, yeah. he's just he's just had enough. Um, so yeah, but it was a good performance from from Fulham, and they they uh, they they've done a good job to separate themselves from from West Brom and, and Sheffield United down there, and, mm-hmm. and really kind of put some pressure on Newcastle. And I don't know, they 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 look the most dynamic of the teams down there, and I feel like they've got a good chance, like a genuinely of. of I think I feel like they've got a better chance on Newcastle actually at the moment, having watched teams, both teams play recently. It was interesting that um, Wilder in the mid in midweek when he was complaining about do-gooders and lefties, and he go and goes and gets turned over by some champagne socialist from West London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you couldn't write that, could you? Yeah, <laughs> very enjoyable yeah. indeed. I mean, I I thought that uh, let, let's be honest, you know, Fulham. Don't they? They can defend all right. Fulham, considering how the, you know how Park has taken them from the start of the season, as I mentioned a number of times already. Um, they don't struggle to keep the ball, but they do struggle to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. And yes, they won this game, but it was a slender win, and they were fortuitous uh, with the ball getting sort of tangled up um, between was it Ampadu and um, obviously Lookman scored. So it's slightly fortunate, and people could. I think some people thought, oh, well, Fulham were good value of the win because they they had the ball and they looked the more likely. But really, I, I, I reckon if you if you watched it back, Sheffield United probably created maybe one or two clearer goal scoring opportunities. I mean, they should have had um, 
was it Ender Stevens, uh, you know, down the left flank who got on, 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 on who, who was through, and then uh, yeah, there was a, one or two others. So, you know, I think with with Fulham they have had a good time of it of late, but not being able to score that much, I think, is going to be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, but they've put themselves in a great position now, or or I say a great position. They're still in the relegation zone, but a much better uh, position. But I mean, talking about Chris Wilder getting annoyed, he's rightly, rightfully annoyed that they didn't get that penalty late on. And again, an enormous oh, yeah. slice of luck for yeah. Fulham Mad. because how that wasn't given, I do not know. Yeah, it's it's just a, it just it smacks of there being so many like tweaks to the rules that like. I don't know, logic's been lost with a lot of them. How's that not a penalty? Well, I, I mean, did you see Graham Soonis going absolutely mental about this, saying the problem we have with referees is they're just not very good. I honestly don't know where we get them from. The quicker we get a different setup for referees and get some ex-players into the game because we're in danger of killing our Premier League with these referees. Ex-players. <laughs> ex-players. Ex-players. Who's going to want to do that? Can you imagine? <laughs> it's uh, Manchester United versus Newcastle United, and the referee today is Alan Shearer. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's the, all, way, I mean that, that's the way to get better referees. If you if you lay into, batter, and demoralise the current crop of referees, yeah. then the next crop are just going to come through, aren't they? Yeah, They're going to be yeah. rushing to your door to get a job in this industry. Ex-pros being referees. How on earth could that work well? All the fans yeah. sitting there going, oh yeah, this is fine. He won't remember the time when we absolutely berated him as a player. Yeah. I mean, presumably he would mean, he's not going to mean Premier League players, is he? Because they've got no reason to put themselves through that. But even so, like... God. It's a- mean, it's, it also implies that refereeing is an easy thing that you can just pick up in a summer between retirement and starting your refer- career as a referee. Oh, to be fair, if, if, to be fair, if management is, then why can't refereeing be? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. very true. That, I mean, I think that, but it, but it will get to the point where, you know, nowadays when, when a referee, uh, uh, you know, is in, is appointed, then they say to the referee, you know, who do you support? That kind of, they have to sort of declare who they support. Which is an ex-pro, it's like, right, well, who did you play against? Who did you play for? Yeah. Did they ever come against? The- it just, it's, it's, it's almost as if it's the rantings of a madman. So do you reckon, so do you think it would need to, if it was an ex-player, they would have to play for a lot of clubs or just one? Do you know what I mean? So like, would Robbie Keane be a really good referee? Yeah, I know what you or would mean. would Gary Neville be a good referee? Gary Neville. <laughs> uh, Gary Neville would be an amazing <laughs> referee. You know he would. You know he would. He'd work so oh! hard on it. I, I think he might. But could he be like one of those dads who people often think, you know, if the, if the dad's son plays for the team, they um, get preferential treatment. Actually, sometimes the dad can be harsher on his yes. son. And I think Neville would be like that for Manchester United. He would <laughs> really, really like uh, give him plenty. Yeah, well, but if you're not going to square it, right. you're not going to get a penalty. Like, what? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. It's very true. It's very true. Right, gentlemen, uh, there's been some uh, happenings in the Football League. Firstly, we go to Bournemouth. We've talked about their uh, coaching uh, position for a little while because there was people going, it was Thierry Henry was mentioned and all this sort of stuff. Well, Jonathan Woodgate's been appointed Bournemouth head coach until the end of the season. Well done, Woodgate. Yeah, yeah it'd, be, it'd be nice to see him. Uh, I'll see him have a go down there and they've got to, you know, it's it's a shame that it didn't work out for Tinder, wasn't it? Um, but it's a bit of a, a kind well, of the app a, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of a sort of Eddie Howe legacy there, uh-huh. uh, almost a legacy appointment. And actually, it's often better to just move on from those things yeah. rather than to kind of keep them around. It's a real show of faith. That do you want to do this until 
for a couple of months. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cardiff visit uh, Bournemouth on on Wednesday, and Bournemouth, uh, sorry, Cardiff are on a five match winning streak under Big Mick McCarthy. Speaking of loving managers, Nigel Pearson is reportedly set to become new Bristol City manager until the end of the season. After talks, they described the talks as they have been accelerated. That, like I a mean, hostage situation. Does that mean he's, yeah, he's lost his temper? He's losing his temper. That smacks to me like they've they were considering Nigel Pearson as an appointment, and they very quickly accepted that Nigel Pearson <laughs> is their manager. It's, like, it's out of their hands now. They've get realized on with they it. were never in charge of this decision. I've told you how much money I want. They'll get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just phoning through to the receptionist. Sorry, could you bring in a pen? I left a pen in there. Yeah, he's holding it to my throat. Could you bring in another pen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Bristol, which is a fine city uh, and, and a very enjoyable place uh, to visit, the city is about to change quite rapidly in terms of the vibe because you could have Nigel Pearson coming in there and then Joey Barton is set to become Bristol Rovers boss. <laughs> I mean, That's so at odds with the nature of Bristol. I know. It's such a chilled place. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, lovely weekend away I, I mean, and those two at the helm. There is, there is a spare plinth there Vish are we going to see a statue of one of them <laughs> no they're going to fight to death to see who throws yeah. who in the river yeah they'll both end up in the river but Amazing. somehow the river will lose Amazing. <laughs> uh, we've got to have an honourable mention surely for James Coppinger um, for Doncaster Rovers he's he's 40 uh, he designed a special charity gold kit for, for Rovers this weekend to mark his 17th and final season at the club 40 years old and still playing football he came off the bench to curl in a glorious free kick in stoppage time to grab a 3-3 draw against Hull which was which was absolutely brilliant it was a lovely Perfect free kick stuff. and finally gentlemen Ryan Shawcross, a man that has, is a synonymous with Stoke City Football Club. He's played in the Premier League. He's recently been played in the Championship. He's now off to join Phil Neville at Inter Miami. What a move, Jim. A match made in heaven. Yeah, it's a, it's a stark change of setting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and it's exciting. I mean, well, it's, it, it's very, it's it's weird. It's weird. He's not the place that <laughs> would have expected to go over there and, and join the Miami Revolution. But who knows? Well, hang we, on, Jim. I, I, I am I am not one to question Phil Neville's methods. Well, you you say that, but Inter Miami sporting director Chris Henderson said that Shawcross fits the Inter Miami DNA because of his experience and longevity at a club. Isn't exactly, it? Marcus. I do say that. <laughs> Isn't experience and longevity things you associate with Florida rather than Miami? Quite, <laughs> quite possibly, being the retirement mm. uh, centre that it is. Yes, centre. Uh, into Miami DNA, um, old, tough English centre-halves is, yeah. uh, is what they're it's, after. It's nice for Phil Neville to go out and get some sunshine before he inevitably takes over at Newcastle United in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that to me, Ryan Shawcross, he's earned that move. That is a lovely old job. So yeah. uh, we look forward to seeing him there um, whenever they start. I think maybe next month. Um, so there we are. Uh, right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, over on uh, Football Ramble Presents, there's a brand new Ramble Meets out today. Mark Pugash sat down with the one and only Ian Dowie to talk about his playing days and that memorable stint as Crystal Palace manager. So do head over to Football Ramble Presents right now and hit the subscribe button while you're at it, you darlings. On tomorrow's show, Jules, Vish and Pete will be in your ears. So do not miss that. Right then, say goodbye, Jim Campbell. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Vatushina Hantaraja. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, everybody. 
This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.